Last year at the AGM in January, we as a church committed uh, to a certain budget. Like there was a budget that the church, uh, the operations committee set forward to the church and said, we'd like you, church, to uh, approve this budget, and we did, which was great because we have a lot of things we want to get, get done for the Lord. Unfortunately, if you go out to the board that's out there in the foyer and you look and see what the number is in terms of how our contribution is doing, the budget that we approved and the budget that we said that we would uh, live up to for 2019, we're not quite there. And in fact, uh, like as of this morning, before this contribution, uh, we're about $44,000 behind where we need to be for this year's budget. And the fact is we have some reserves but those reserves are being depleted pretty quickly. And so we're, we're asking, I'm asking, that if you are in a position that you can do some contributing here at the end of the year and help make up the, the uh, shortfall in our budget, I sure would love for you to do that. Okay, $44,000 is quite a bit for us to make up, uh, but that's where we're at. And so, uh, like, I hope that if you have some funds and you think, ah, I could I can do something here in terms of contributing to the church at the end of the year. I really hope that you do so. If, if we don't do that, then as we move into 2020, the fact is we're going to have to start making this, some decisions. Decisions about what ministries that we're not going to continue or you know, what staff members are questionable or something or missionaries. Like It's hard to say where we might have to make decisions, uh, but some decisions will have to be made eventually because we just at this point, are behind enough in our contribution that we can't continue on, along the path that we're going. So if you're in a position to do something with that, I'd love for you to do it, okay? Let me pray. Lord, please bless uh, our financial situation as we move into the remainder of this year. God, we pray that you'd help us to uh, meet the obligations that we have, uh, meet the responsibilities and commitment that we've made to you uh, in terms of our financial resources. Father, we, we ask all the time and, and pray this morning that you'd help us to give generously, uh, to do so cheerfully, to do so, Father, in response to what it is that you've done for us. And we thank you for the privilege of doing so through Christ. Amen. Just a couple of other things I'll mention this morning. One is that there is a Filipino potluck today following this service. It'll take us a few minutes to get everything set up after the uh, kids are in there just now for youth worship, so give us a few moments and be patient with that. But yeah, we'll get that going and, and have our Filipino potluck. If you've brought food for that, great. If you are Filipino and you haven't brought food for that, that's still great. We'd love to have you come. Um, also, uh, we need to draw just attention to the fact that our kitchen is finished. Uh, we have finished that renovation. It's all done. And thank you especially to Daryl Bean, who I don't see right at the moment. Oh, there he is right there. You're not with her. You're supposed to be sitting with her. What's up? Oh, never mind. There's something happened between the two of them. We shouldn't draw attention to this. <laughs> anyway, we're very grateful for Daryl and his work and his marriage <laughs> and all the, everything that he's put into our kitchen addition. And I think we really do deserve uh, to give him a hand for all the work that he's done. So, Daryl, thank you very much. The, the one thing I'll say about Daryl, and this is absolutely true, is that I know that this was for him a labor of love. He loves this church. He loves us. He wants to serve the Lord. 
and the work that he put in, which was long and hard and many hours, even in the last week he was down here painting and doing all kinds of things. Uh, I've seen him here very early in the morning. I've seen him here very late at night. And, uh, and it's a labor of love. And we're appreciative very much, Daryl, for your work. Love you, brother. Thank you. All of us face those moments when we don't really know the answer to one of life's questions or really don't know what to say in answer to some question. It's like when I was six or seven years old, or sorry, that's wrong. My son was six or seven years old. My son was six or seven years old, and he and I were sitting and watching television. I've told you the story, so if you've heard the story before, put up with it. Okay, Ken, put up with it. He's six or seven years old, and we're watching television, and this beautiful woman comes on the television, clad in almost nothing, and she's playing on the beach, you know, in a bikini or whatever she's doing, and all of a sudden, my son turns, and he looks to me, and he says, that's the kind of girl we don't like, isn't it, Dad? And I didn't know what to say. I could lie. I didn't know what to say. Sometimes you're without words in the response to a question. And at that moment, I didn't know exactly what to say. There are moments when we think we know the answer and then find out that we're not near as smart as we think we are. I can remember when I was in grade nine and I was taking a social studies test. And I took the test. We finished. And the teacher calls me up after the test. And he calls me up because the fact is I got one question wrong on the test. And he thought perhaps I knew the right answer and just wanted to check me out here and, you know, because he didn't want me to blow my perfect score or something. So he calls me up and he says, you know, here's, here's the question. And the question was, what is the word that describes a culture or a people when they have not had the opportunity to learn to read and write. And I had written the answer. So, of course, the answer to that question is that those people are illiterate. And so the teacher's trying to tell me that that's the right word, and I was explaining to him, no, the word is what I put down, and the word was illegitimate. (laughs) And I was wrong. That was the answer to another social studies question. But sometimes we think we're right, and in that case, I was not right. I remember um, my junior high biology teacher telling a story about how in the summer that he got out of high school, he went to work for the local sawmill. And his, his first day on the job, his supervisor asked him to go find a sawdust pump. Now, the fact is, there was no such thing as a sawdust pump. That's just what they did to the rookies. And so he was being hazed, okay? They were hazing him. And so he spent the better part of two days walking around the sawmill, going from person to person and saying, hey, have you, you know, I'm trying to find the sawdust pump. And they all had a great laugh at the fact that this guy for two days walks around asking for a sawdust pump that doesn't exist. Now, what was really happening was that my biology teacher had been around sawmills all his life. He knew there was no such thing as a sawdust pump. And so for two days, he carried her shovel around on his shoulder, going from person to person, being paid full union wages the whole time, doing absolutely nothing but going from guy to guy and saying occasionally, have you seen a sawdust pump? And the rest of the time, he spent doing absolutely nothing. 
And so sometimes, even when we think we know, we don't really know. We've got answers that we think are right, and the fact is, we're wrong. One of the places that people often get me, and this happened even last night when I was with a group of people from here, is that I can be made to look pretty stupid when the guy with the most biblical and theological education in the room doesn't know the answer to the Bible trivia question. So when I was newly in ministry in Victoria, we were at a family camp once, and Steve Mann's mother, Eleanor, made a huge deal out of the fact that I was on her Bible trivia team. She she was like, all right, we've got the preacher, you know, we're going to win the Bible trivia. And so I'm on Eleanor's side. And then they start asking questions. And like the first question out of the gate is, who is it that said, and when and where did he say these words, silver and gold have I none, but what I have to you, I give to you, rise and walk. And the fact is, at 26 or 27 years old or whatever it was, I didn't know. I'd read the book of Acts before, but I didn't know. And so the grade four student on the other team knew the answer, that it was from Acts chapter three, and it was the man at the beautiful gate, and it was Peter who was saying to him, rise and walk. But the preacher didn't know it right at that moment. I'll tell you, I have never forgotten it, I can tell you exactly where that is and who said it and all of that. But sometimes we just don't know the answer. And what do you do when you don't know the answer? Well, I want to mention three circumstances this morning that sometimes face us in the church where we don't always have the answer. Sometimes there's a lack of knowledge. And it can be terribly frustrating at times. But I think the Lord has some answers for us when it comes to things that we don't know. And so what do you do when the answers just aren't there? Here are the three questions. Okay, the questions are first, when we just don't know some general fact about God's interaction with humankind and the universe, when the answer has ramifications for our faith, this can be a frustrating circumstance. I'm thinking of things like, what do we do about the origins of the universe, for example? Okay, secondly, the second circumstance is when we just don't know what God thinks about a specific theological issue. I'll get to some examples to that in just a moment. And then number three, the third circumstance is when we just don't understand what God is doing in our lives. And the fact is that most of us have some kind of question about one of these, at least. So the first circumstance, when we just don't know some general fact about God's interaction with humankind in the universe, when the answer has ramifications for faith, what do we do? And the circumstances are something like this. What about the Big Bang? I wasn't there. You weren't there. Is that how God did it? What is the origin of our universe? And the fact is, I'm not sure. Here's one that might startle you that I would even bring up or say. What about life on other planets? What about aliens? And at first you think to yourself, well, that's ridiculous. It's been too long since he's preached. He's off his rocker. But what if I said that there are billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of stars? And around all of those billions and billions and billions and billions of stars, there are billions and billions and billions and billions of planets. Now, it's possible 
that God has put all those planets out there around all those stars and there's not life on any of them. That's certainly a possibility. But the fact is, I have no way of knowing that. And I'm not sure that the Bible specifically treats the subject. So is it possible that God, without telling us, decided to put life, maybe life just like ours, on some other planet? Out of those billions that are out there. Well, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. But I just don't know. And so what do we do when we're faced with that kind of question? And then, of course, there's this question that people always ask, and maybe your child has already asked you this question. What do you do about the dinosaurs? How do the dinosaurs fit into the picture? The Bible doesn't really talk much about dinosaurs. There are some creatures, you know, what's a leviathan? I'm not really sure. But the whole issue of dinosaurs and lots of other questions just don't get the answers in the scriptures that we really would like to see there. And so what do we do when that's the case? And so just some pieces of advice about that particular question, and then we'll move on. First of all, make sure that you read good science and not pseudoscience where presuppositions rule the day. And sometimes this is the case. Christians have unfortunately sometimes been pretty poor, pretty pathetic scientists in order to make points that we want to make. And we actually do ourselves a disservice. I think this becomes a problem in the church when we do that kind of thinking. God wants us to do great thinking. We're going to be scientists. He wants us to be the best scientists we can possibly be and to have really good science at our disposal. Now, of course, this can go both ways. Oftentimes, it's not the Christian, but the scientist who's crazy, who doesn't get it, who's totally wrong in the perception that they have the way things are. So it can go both ways, and we need to recognize that as well. But we can't substitute that which is poor reasoning or poor science to prove our theology, because when we do, we end up making God look bad rather than adequately defending him. So we try and defend God, and sometimes we do a poor job of that. We need to be careful. Here's another thing we need to do. Don't be too quick to accept the traditional answer just because it's tradition or the answer that matches with your view. And we've seen this, of course, many times in the history of Christianity. There are times when we hold on to a traditional answer because it's the traditional answer when really it's not all that defensible. And so, for example, someone like Galileo comes along with a new idea. Or Copernicus comes along with a new idea and says, you know what? The earth is not the center of the universe. Instead... The sun, rather than revolving around the earth, we're revolving around it. And then in addition to that, not only are we not the center of the universe, we're not even the center of our own solar system. We're not the center of our galaxy. Our universe is massive, and all those galaxies, hundreds of billions of them, we're not certainly the center of all of those. And we just need to recognize that. So there was a tradition for about 1,500 years held in the church that the earth was the center of the universe, and eventually we realized, no, that's not the case. And when that happens, we need to be willing to give up tradition and actually go with what is factual, if in fact it is. Now, again, there's lots of things that purport to be facts and they're not facts at all, but we need to be uh, aware that that sometimes we hold on to traditions when we need not to. Then, authentic, verified, scientific should typically be thought of as the way God has made things to work. I would say that's the case. So if it's really authentic, if it's really verified, and take note that I've said that, I'm not talking here about pseudoscience and not talking about just theory, but when there is authentic, verified, scientific description, and it's true, 
then I would say that that should typically be thought of as the way that God has made things to work. That's how he did it. We may not understand, but the fact is God has made it that way. We need to be willing, I think, at times to say that and to accept it. Well, that's one style of question or doubt that we may have that might come onto our plates that we need to deal with. Here's the second one. The second circumstance is when God, uh, or sorry, is when we just don't know what God thinks about a specific theological issue. For example, what does God think about cloning? Now, I can theorize, I can think, well, I, you know, I think that maybe God would say he's the one who authors life, not us. So maybe I shouldn't be thinking that cloning could be a good thing. But it's not hard for me to imagine certain scenarios when cloning could be maybe even a good thing. Let me give you one. This may not work. I, I don't know what to do with this. But what if a child dies very early on? And parents then are thinking, boy, I would have loved for that child to remain alive. Would it ever be a legitimate thing for them to somehow clone the child that they lost? I mean, my, my heart, my inclination, my thought is, well, no, God is the giver of life, not But if I was a parent, I might think differently if it was me who lost the child. What about assisted suicide? Is it always 100% of the time immoral? Like, what do you do when someone has been in constant pain all their lives? When maybe for 60 or 70 or 80 years, they have been in constant pain. And maybe even the pain increases with age to the point where they finally say, I cannot take this anymore. And you as a loved one are so tired of seeing them suffer. And they want to go and you want them to no longer be in pain. Is that ever legitimate? I don't know. I wrestle with that. I'm not sure that the Bible gives an absolutely clear answer. What was happening? And how long was the earth formless and void with the darkness being over the surface of the deep in Genesis 1-2? How long did that go on? I wrestle with that. The fact is I don't know the answer. There are other things. I could go on here with all kinds of quandaries and questions about theology and what's in the Bible. Um, The one that, that is that plagues us probably most severely at the hands of our society is the question about hell. The question of everlasting torment for those who've never heard. What do you do with people who have absolutely never heard of the Lord Jesus, never had an opportunity, never will have an opportunity, uh, lived at at a time or a place when that was never a possibility, and then we have the idea that God will take those who never knew Jesus and torment them forever. What do you do with that? There are a lot of people who would question the validity of the Christian faith on the basis of the torment that would be meted out against those who had no chance to ever give an answer about the Lord Jesus. What will the return of Christ look like? I don't know. But people wonder all the time. Well, we could talk about advice for reading the Bible. We could talk about some ways to overcome this. Like, I think it's wrong to read the Bible too simplistically. Uh, I think that we need to be aware of literary context and historical context and language and all the things that go into reading the Bible. 
But if I had to say just one thing to sum all of that before I really get to where I want to go this morning, I would say something like this. Do your very best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And what I find when I talk to Christians a lot of times is that they kind of give this short shrift. And we talk sometimes as we do legitimate study, serious study, read a book or two, and come to some understanding to some question. And all the while I'm thinking, oh, read more. Read more. Read more deeply. Pray before you read in a, in a way that you've never prayed before. Study like you've never studied before. Crave the Word of God like you've never craved it before. And then you can start to reach some answers that God wants you to reach in terms of these kinds of questions. I think we have that kind of call and responsibility to ours to do that kind of thinking. Ultimately, I would say that there are some core items, some biblical theology core items, big items, where we talk about who is God and who is Jesus and what is he doing through his spirit and what is it, the incarnation and Jesus coming into the world, which is so much more than a Christmas story. What does it mean that there's this little baby that's born? What does all of this mean in light of all the little questions that we sometimes ask? And the big questions, the big picture, the whole story, the whole narrative needs to somehow influence what we do with all of those questions so that really it's the forest who begins to inform us about the trees. We need to do that. Well, this third question, third circumstance, is when we just don't understand what God is doing in our lives. And this is when... This is when someone says, why, God, I don't understand. Why me? I remember very clearly when I was about, well, I was seven years old, and the kid that was living next door, Steve Finnegan, got on his bicycle, he was about 11, got on his bicycle to go deliver his papers that afternoon. And he's doing his paper route on his bicycle, and a guy comes out of the TNR restaurant, out of the bar, who'd been drinking all afternoon, and hit Steve Finnegan with his car when Steve was driving over an overpass on his bicycle. Threw him 10 feet off up in the air. This kid comes down on the pavement, and he's killed. And I remember walking down the sidewalk like it was yesterday. And Jimmy and Dean, two boys in the neighborhood, come walking toward me. They say, have you heard what happened to Steve? And I said, no. Well, he was just killed out here on the, on the street. And I said, no, not really. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. And I went in the house and I said to my mom, you know, maybe Jimmy would lie to me about something like that, but Dean wouldn't. And we found out it was true that Steve had been killed. Well, why does that happen? And I, I sat on my mother's lap, who two years later died herself of leukemia. And I sat on her lap and I said, why me, Mom? Why did this happen when I knew him? Why did this happen when I was alive? Why is he dead and I'm alive? We sometimes ask questions for which there are no answers. I'm sure she didn't have answers for a seven-year-old boy any more than my father had them two years later when my own mother died. So why is it in the midst of that that we would continue to trust God in the absence of answers, in the absence of proof? And I don't have all the answers. One thing I would say is that there has been a history that God has shown himself to be faithful throughout 
his interaction with humankind. There are people who question that, of course, but I have to tell you that I don't. And I've lived some life now. I've experienced I've experienced death in all kinds of forms. It seems to me that it's legitimate at times for people to look God in the face in the midst of their agony and say to him, what are you doing? How is this happening to me? I need answers and I don't get them. I think God has created us almost to ask that kind of question because we hurt so deeply so filled with pain, just the way that God's filled with that kind of pain. Well, we say, trust God. But if you think about it, that only works if you are really a believer. In any other case, it simply is a foolish opinion to trust God when it seems as though the answers are not there. And if you don't believe in God the Father, you don't believe in God the Son, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit then there really is no reason to trust. But if you really, really, really do believe in our Trinitarian God, then I would say that there is very good reason to trust, even in the absence of answers. And so ultimately, I want to say to this question that is so hard to answer, trust because He has shown Himself faithful, even if it seems to us that he's not. And so in the first service today, Jordan and and Carrie Clark were sitting right back there in the back row. And if there's a family that I've ever met in my life who has every reason to say, I'm going to trust him no longer, it would be Jordan and Carrie. But they were here. They continue to trust. And this morning, right over here, Dana Rippenhagen was sitting in the first service. Dana Rippenhagen has experienced more physical pain in her years on this earth than I would say all of us put together. The number of kidney stones that she has endured, the number of, of uh, I want to say gut-wrenching, but, it's, uh, but I mean it literally, the number of gut-wrecking experiences that she's had is beyond my comprehension. And yet she comes here Sunday after Sunday and continues to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And last night, I was with a group of people. And she, she said to me, in our life group, we were discussing what you're going to be discussing tomorrow, this whole notion of questions that can't be answered. And she said, the only thing I can discover in all of that is that we need to just keep trusting Him. We have to just keep depending on Him no matter what. And I think, how can you say this? Like, who are you? That you can have that kind of physical pain for all your life, I don't know how old Dana is. I'm going to guess she's, I better be careful here, 26. (laughs) Oh, let's say that she's 50, okay? Give or take 15 years. (laughs) 
if she's 50, then for 40 of her years or so, she has had constant pain. She's been in the hospital more times than you and I can imagine. She has been, she's seen doctors more times than you and I can begin to contemplate. In all kinds of physical agony, and she sits here and then says to me, we just need to keep trusting God. You know, that's not foolishness. That's not naivete. That's not ignorance. That's not stupidity. That is faith. That is belief. That says, I will trust him no matter what happens in my life. And that's what she does. Amelda's sitting there this morning. Her mom's got cancer. Did I not see your mom just a moment ago? And I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't think Imelda knows. I don't think Ignacia knows. If I'm going to be absolutely brutally honest with this lady sitting in front of me this morning, I'm going to say it doesn't look very good. But she's here. And she prays. And she asked this God whom she loves and who she believes loves her to be with her every moment of the rest of her days on this earth. Is that too simplistic for you? To keep believing him, even when all the signs point in the direction of maybe saying, let's give this up. Come on. It's not too simplistic for In fact, I would say exactly the opposite. That that's the profound side of our faith. That that's the deep side of what it means to think about who God is. And that when we think deeply about who He is, and we hear His word, and we take it in, that that's where we end up. I'm tempted to read, I will read this. I'm tempted to make this the last thing I'll read this morning, but it won't be. There's more to say here, but listen to the words of Job. Now you know who Job is. Listen to the words of this book. And this is the Lord responding to Job. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come see and no more. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Of course the answer is. Silence. Because what could Job possibly say when 
God questions him. We need to keep thinking rightly about God and trusting God, even when every voice around us is screaming that we should give up and no longer believe. I want you to turn to Isaiah 55. We're going to finish this way. And you have to remember, this was written about a time when Israel was still in exile. The prophet is telling them, he's telling the exiles, despite everything around them that looks negative, despite the fact that they can't see God working, that they need to keep trusting and believing. So they have been in Babylon for 70 years. And it wasn't very good. They were slaves in Babylon. Many people had been killed in the process of them going to Babylon. But God exhorts them to continue to hope. And here's what he says. Look at your text if you're looking at your Bibles. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Wow. Why will we trust him? Because he says, I am absolutely reliable. Absolutely dependable. I will do what I say I'm going to do. And in fact, when you think about it, he's always done exactly what he needed to do. And so if you ever wonder, does God know what he's doing? The answer is yes. And when you sometimes want to throw in the towel and give up faith because you don't understand, it's time to trust. He calls you to continue to trust. And I'm encouraging you to do the same this morning. These last words from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And many of us learn these as a memory verse. It's probably on our list that Carrie's given us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. And He will make your paths straight. Do you believe that? Do you believe in Him? I believe that. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you this morning that you're with us. God, I absolutely believe that you're with Jordan and Carrie. I absolutely believe that you're with Dana. I absolutely believe that you're with Ignacia. 
God, you are the Lord of this universe. I don't think anything happens in this universe without you knowing it. There may be things, God, that you allow to happen, but you behind everything are ultimately the force in our existence. Help us to put ourselves completely into your hands, and especially when we don't understand and don't have the answers. It's through Christ that we pray.